Hello, everyone. Today, I talked to Nicolas, a friend of mine who is Argentinian and five years ago moved to Spain in Valencia. He has an interesting story because he grew up in a country that uh, regularly suffered from hyperinflation. Uh, but he was also a asset manager, or he started his own company, managing other people's money. So it's very interesting to hear his take on it and how he survived through the 2008 financial crisis. Also to note, uh, obviously, Nicolás's first language is Spanish. So actually, I, I really commend him and congratulate him on, on doing this interview in, in his second language in English, which is not always easy, but very great to uh, hear from him. So, uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matias. Hello, everyone. Today, I am talking with Nicolas from Argentina. I met Nicolas in Barcelona at a FI meetup. It was, it was very exciting. He came all the way from Valencia, in, in, well, which is not that far from Barcelona, actually, but still come to our meetup and uh, he's got some very interesting uh, opinions on, on investing and experiences on investing. So I had to have him on the podcast. Uh, Nicolas, hello. How are you? Hi, Araminta. Thanks for inviting me. Well, and let me share my opinion with the audience. My pleasure. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I think this is, uh, you'll see how, how Nico's experience is quite uh, unique in a certain way. But before getting started, uh, Nicolas, could you tell us a bit of who you are and, and what do you do right now uh, in, in Spain? Yes, of course. Well, I'm currently living in, in Spain since five years ago. And well, who I am is certainly, I could tell that I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I grew up in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Well, you, maybe you don't know, but when the Vichy song, Staying Alive, was at the top of the charts. So that was a late 70s in the middle of the disco fever. Um, in Argentina, particularly, with 500 a year inflation rate, 500%. Uh, you could guess why staying alive was so popular those days. Well, but, but for, fast forward to today, when I was at uh, secondary school, the music style changed. Um, but instead of thinking too much about music, like my fellow friends did at the time, I remember dreaming about three things. The first thing is uh, how I could make half a million dollars. The second thing was, well, how could I earn a 10% return a year on that? And the third thing was, and I think the most important, not worrying too much about money from then on. So yes, all, all of that looks quite straightforward with 18 years, but later I learned that those things, especially point one and two, were not as easy as I thought. So I think very young, I find interesting subjects like economy, science and everything related with technology and computers. Yeah, okay. Uh, but before we dive into your story, can you just tell us a bit, right now you're living in Valencia, uh, you have a family and you are financially independent, right? Yes, that, that's right. I, I choose with my family to settle down here with my wife and, and two kids. Uh, so we are living here in the sunny and family-friendly Valencia. And can you tell us a bit, how, how did it all start? When did you start investing? You said at 18, you were very into uh, getting a high return and making a lot of money. Yes. And when did you really start investing, like taking action on those dreams of yours? Well, really, I, when, when I think about that, I, I could say that I started investing when I was five years old. Yes, you'll see. It, it was impossible to save with local currency in Argentina back in the 80s. 
with that kind of inflation. And to be precise, it's still not possible today. Uh, but that decade was brutal. So um, imagine what could a kid do with a, uh, a piggy bank, co putting coins in a piggy bank. If you for Christmas could buy three candies, when the summer started, you can uh, not even afford one. So I remember that I, I really, what I really wanted when I was a kid was to buy an Atari. You, you know, the, the popular video game console, the big thing at the time. Atari. Atari, yes. Nice. yes. <laughs> the thing that you could find easily in a tech museum right now. Mm -hmm. But for a kid like me, <laughs> that was uh, as luxury as like having a real Ferrari. So asking money to the family was not an option. And I quickly learned how to put myself in a savings spree mode. So Christmas presents, birthday gift, candy money, whichever it takes. Otherwise, I will never have my wish Atari. So fear lesson learned, start saving early. But in that uncertain context, everyone in my family wisely escaped the financial market. But my parents, in order that I could save and without knowing it, taught me a lesson of arbitrage. Yes, uh, the solution was simple and clever. Instead of putting my coins in a piggy bank, like every other kid uh, could do in normal times, which, by the way, is devalued day by day in Argentina, they encouraged me to save buying cans of canned food. So when I had enough cans, I could exchange them for money, selling them back to my parents, and I could go to the toy store and buy whatever I wanted. So second lesson learned, uh, invest your savings before inflation hit them. I, I learned that very, very young. But um, if you think it was a really ingenious solution uh, by my parents, no, no expensive coaching sessions, no books, no fancy methods, simply and effectively transforming their child on the side in a self-motivational learning tool. But despite that early style, I, I wasn't really interested in learning how to invest in the financial market until I started earning some money. And that was almost 15 years later that I opened a broker account and started slow, buying a few securities and mainly doing a stock picking. But before, uh, you said cans, like tomato cans, so you would buy... Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, that's uh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yes. that is a good tactic, actually, if you think about it, because well, food is normally not going to change in value, but... Money will so was as a kind of piggy bank and 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 that in, indeed is arbitrage because mm -hmm. you know that you're going to sell for a bigger price in the future. Mm -hmm. That is the definition of arbitrage. So yeah. I, I learned that when I was five years old. So you started investing at the age of what, like twenty something? <laughs> I think yeah, twenty something. Yes. And how did you get started? How did you educate yourself on you know signing up to a brokerage and buying securities, for example? Yeah. I, fortunately, I'm, I'm very good at being self-educated. I do all my computer um, programming in, in basic language, uh, learning by my own. And when I first uh, read the book, um, Rich Dad or Dad, uh, the book of Sharon Lecter and Kiyosaki, it's not only Kiyosaki is um, the author. I think that was back in 2003. I, I was already on that quest. I want to become a professional investor, but they were just like loose ideas. The, the book helped me to organize those ideas and most important, to encourage me to take action. So after with very little money, I opened an investment account in an Argentinian broker as an experiment. 
and began to learn theory about financial investments, about fundamental analysis, technical analysis. I was mainly reading books and something on the web, although there was not really much valuable information in the web at that time. But what I considered the most important thing was the practice, no? with money on the table. And, and I learned the thing that no book or no PhD can teach us how we react emotionally to the inevitable success and failures of our strategies in the market. Mm. What are our biases when we invest? We learn if we are capable, if we have the persistence to tame the wild horse that we, we all carry inside. Yeah, of course. That's, uh, so you started really soon with self-education, which is how a lot of investors, I think, start. And how did you build your, your investment philosophy, investment strategy? What was your strategy really when you started investing? Well, this is, this is a, a curious question. I think that this goes to the, to the bond. Uh, because it's a strategy, it's the, the plan designed to, to achieve a long-term goal. No? In that sense, when I started investing, my goal was simple, to obtain an above-market return on my investments. It's simple, but not easy, as Warren Buffett says. So um, to accomplish that goal, my strategy was straightforward. I thought that I could do it by learning how to use and apply different investment techniques. But with the years, I, I discovered that this assumption missed a very important element. Yes, uh, I, I didn't know what my investment philosophy was. So philosophy being the, the study of the, the nature, the fundamental nature of things, how they work. In other words, it's how you think that the world and therefore the market works. If you are not sure about this, you will not be comfortable with any investment strategy and, and probably end up changing horses in the middle of the race frequently and damaging your expected long-term return. So basically, there are two main visions. You, you could believe that the world is a predictable or that is something that works unpredictable. And if you believe that is predictable, that every action has a consequence, it is like a chess game. And, and you must define your investment strategy under that assumption. Uh, here we can try strategies that try to gain advantage by assuming that we can anticipate to some extent what is going to happen. Strategies based in fundamental analysis and technical analysis may make sense. But if instead you assume that what happens in the world is the result of so many billions of interactions of very complex system, in that case, the events and their effects in the markets are unpredictable similar to random events. In this case, what makes more sense is to use strategies that resist every possible scenario, like broad market indexed strategies that not, do not presuppose that there will be any particular win in a stock or sector in the future. These kind of strategies are designed to capture all the winners and get rid of the losers in each economic cycle. So if you are inclined to this view, portfolios with similar allocation for uncorrelated asset classes are a must-have. Some examples are Harry Brown's permanent portfolio or the Ivy's portfolio. 
Okay, so you were trying different strategies, right? Which one did you end up picking? Well, I, I start uh, th thinking like the world works like um, a chess game, that things are was predictable and I, I could anticipate using techniques what is going to happen and make a profit of that. And with experience, I learned that in, in reality, my vision of the world is, is the other, that, that the world is unpredictable and nobody could know what will going to happen the next year or from 10 years on. Okay. And at one point uh, from the discussions that we've had, you've told me that you started investing other people's money. You were doing pretty well and your friends and family said, okay, well, here's my money. Can you invest for me instead? Can you tell us a bit like uh, how, how did you do that and, and why did you feel comfortable doing that? Or, or yeah, how did right. it go? Yes, yes, yes. Well, my first year's investing was indeed too, too good to be true. I made an 80% return. I dwarf the mighty 20% of Warren Buffett. So that kind of returns usually gets people excited, but then learn that this is a mere fact of luck. So it's expected that the returns of a portfolio swings widely, especially in the early years. So the thing is that Meanwhile, I was gaining experience investing. I enabled my family members to join me and we pulled assets to invest according to my own strategy. And that was a win-win for all because having a bigger portfolio helps. First, re reducing transaction costs and second, to increase diversifications. Uh, you get a better asset allocation. After a while, I, I thought that it was convenient to formalize the pool and and I promoted the creation of a private fund under the umbrella of a family office structure. I needed to seek a paid advice for that because none of the people I knew had ever done anything like that before. But the, the main purpose of this family office was to invest the members' money. And the second goal was to effectively transfer established wealth across generations. I could say that the first goal was complicated, but I did it what 90% of professional investors failed to deliver, that is beating the benchmark. In my case was the SP500, and I added 39 plus basic points yearly return during the 12 years that I was managing the, the fund. And last but not least, these returns were delivered with five times less volatility. So five times less thrill in the roller coaster uh, of the market. So it's boring, but effective. The second goal that you asked me about how it feels, the second goal is, that was about transfer established wealth across generations, at first glance seems the, the easiest, right? But it, it was the most complicated to achieve. And, and finally, I, I decided to dissolve the fund in 2016 after 12 years of running it because managing other people's money requires more psychology skills than investment skills yeah i can imagine that sounds pretty yeah plus what what 80 percent <laughs> uh 59 59, oh, 39, okay. basic points so okay, wow. zero zero point 39 percent plus mm -hmm. a year okay cool and and then obviously 2008 happened financial crisis boom what happened? How, how did you minimize your losses? How did you control the downward spiral? 
well, I, I had that uh, dubious privilege of going through a strong bear market like the 2008 financial crisis. This is a, a luxury that I, I suppose a relatively low percentage of the current fire community or fire aspirants have had. Uh, and believe me, it's a great opportunity to get to know yourself. And this is, I think, the, the, the great question for, for the community, for those of us who are fire or, or those who aspire to be fire. That how are we going to face the next bear market and the next one too? Because on average, if we are invest for 30 years, we will be facing about five bear markets. So when stocks plummet by an uh, average of 50%, and I say average because some of our portfolios will suffer even worse losses. What is our emergency plan for those of us who rely on the 4% rule? What if the market sustains those losses for one, two or more years? Are we prepared to resist with a 2% withdrawal? And if so, for how long? I, I remember a year before the fall of Lehman Brothers, we are talking in mid-2007, and I had access to reports and analyses where there was a lot of talk about the bubble forming in the real estate market, about the subprime mortgages and all that crazy stuff. And fear took the driver's seat and I increased my position in defensive assets like gold and precious metals, mining companies. And in a matter of a few months, that worked great. But the thing is, once we got our technical bear market, this is a 20% decline from the top. There was a lot of talking about buying opportunities, buoy on the cheap. So greed uh, took the driver's seat at that time. And I was trying to time the market and start loading the portfolio with the stocks on the cheap. And then the, the market took a nosedive, falling another 30%. So the word was that it feels like it, it will not stop until it gets to the levels reached in the 30s depressions, you know, and an 80% decline. So fear took the driver's seat again. And at that moment, I still invest doing stock picking, not by indexing. And I still hadn't stopped to think what my vision of the world was. And my strategy was that I could choose the stocks that will make it better than the market. So I cut the weeds, the world's performers, and let the flowers bloom, my winners. I reduced my exposure to equities to 30% of the portfolio for many years, feeling safe, but lowering my exposure to one of the greatest bull markets of all time. So that was the lesson that I learned in the financial crisis. Yeah, I can imagine you, well, we'll, we'll talk about this later, but I think it's very interesting. Uh, the reason why, why we're really talking about this today is because a lot of us in the FI community are worried that there is a crash coming and we have our nice little portfolios uh, that are accumulating and that are growing. And I mean, some of us are scared, which is absolutely normal. What if there's a crash? Will I lose all my money? So it's interesting to hear from your perspective. You've already been through a crash and you suffered a lot of losses. And from those losses, apart from, you know, learning, well, the question, my question is, what really are the biggest lessons that you learned uh, in the process and what do you think you'll do differently next time? So maybe in the next couple of years. Yes, well, that was, I say, it, it was to the bone and the very interesting thing about this, the investments. Now, first, I, I discovered that 
the great investors don't, don't have a magic formula for making money. The techniques based on assuming that there is a fair price different from the one the market assigns them at any given time, like techniques, like fundamental analysis, they need to make assumptions about the future. So therefore, in the long term, their results do not differ much from those that can be obtained by chance. The same goes for the technical analysis. So there is a lot of evidence about this fact. And my favorite is the classic book, uh, Random Walk on Wall Street. Uh, unfortunately, I did not read it at that time, but it's, it's a, a very nice book that talks about that. But one thing is reading and, and the other things is you, you need to go through. So I think that my, my main lesson was to stop and, and start thinking about how I view the world, how the world works and adapt my strategy to that view. And so what is your strategy now? Is it a bit well, like us? Is it index funds, ETFs, or is it a bit more? I, I could say that I embrace the two principles of the Austrian School of Economics. The principle number one is that the, the evolution of markets as a, the human action phenomena are unpredictable. And the principle number two is that economic cycles are inevitable, no matter how hard central banks try to soften them. So I applied strategies to capture profits according to an unpredictable view of the world. Strategies that take into account the three main drivers of investment returns in the long run. And these drivers are time. So it's the, the most important. How long are you invest exposed to the market? The longer you are, the better. The second driver is the asset allocation what kind of assets and in which quantities do you do you have in your portfolio and the third driver is the risk management so things like being diversified uh, doing periodic rebalancing learning how to avoid biases like the loss aversion bias this is in, in, important in my view i adopt a um, portfolio that has like five main asset classes, and I almost uh, have the same weight of each asset class. So the thing is, uh, and, and I'm going to say something that, that is going to sound strange, but I think that we spend too much time reading what other people think and doing investing. I think that we spend too little time on introspection. So I tell people that the person you have to understand best to be a good investor is yourself. That makes complete sense. Before investing, you're saying, look at, well, try to understand really who you are. What is your risk? What kind of risk are you comfortable with? What asset classes are you comfortable with investing in? So it's interesting that you say that. And so, which is why I'm going to ask you, your personal life, what happened? You, you, 2008 happened, you were in Argentina and you were trying to minimize risk and, and dealing with all these, uh, all this, well, the crash. What did you do after? How did it change your personal life? Did you leave Argentina? What, what happened after that? Yes, at that, at that time I, I was living in Buenos Aires, but uh, it happened some, something interesting because uh, during the financial crisis, it was terrible. You know? Negative news every day. Uh, for those of us that were involved in involved in managing money, was like a collective psychosis 
a lot of stress, looking more and, and more red numbers day after day, month after month. And investors were desperate. Bankers were jumping out of the window. But I remember me sleeping like a baby. Yes, I, I woke up every hour and cry and cry and cry and cry. <laughs> but, but yes, now shocks aside, uh, all the stress involving investment plus managing a business was taking a toll on my health. So it was 2009 and I decided to make an important change. I chased my dream to a slow travel and explore the world while keep working for my IT business. So I'm kind of a digital nomad pioneer, but during two years I live in Australia, New Zealand, Canada and, and the States. It was a great experience for me. And well, as I say, five years ago with my wife, we decided to, to extend the family and settle down here in, in Spain. Yeah, so it was quite a, quite a journey. You, uh, after 2009, you said, okay, I'm done. And you're like, okay, I'm traveling the world. And now you're in Valencia and you're, you've settled down. What are your plans for the future in terms of finances? Are you going to go back into investing or you well, still invest? Well, yes, yes. I, I'm, well, as I say, I'm, I'm financial independent, I think since at least nine years. I, I, don't, I don't have a record, exact record because I never stopped being board member on, on my company. So that's an active source of revenue that helps on my goal to become fat five within the next 15 years. Uh, yes, I, a couple of months ago, I created a group in Valencia to, to join uh, the local fire community so we could su support each other and to help like-minded people with different level of expertise. Uh, the group is in LinkedIn too. And I will give the, the links to, to add to the to the interview and, and, and yes, that is basically, I keep managing my portfolio. I, I never stop managing my portfolio. I, I end up the fund, but keep managing my own portfolio and, and helping close people regarding finances too. Cool. And, but you don't manage other people's money anymore, do you? No, 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 no. no as um, I only give some tips or, or things like that, but mm -hmm. no, no professionally. Cool. Well, my, my last question is uh, kind of related to what I was saying before. Everyone feels that there's a crash coming. What would be your advice to people who are maybe a bit worried, who want to protect their portfolio because they're trying to reach financial independence? Will you say something like, you know, make sure you have a big cash reserve, make sure you have emergency fund? What would be your advice to, to those people? Well, yes, the time after time, the one thing is, is proven. No? No, nobody can address what uh, and when a bear market is coming and how hard it will hit. So for me, the best way to protect your wealth in this uncertain world is to have a, a diversified asset allocation with almost equal weight uh, to four or five uncorrelated assets. Like there are examples like the IB portfolio, the permanent portfolio style, Everybody could do this very cheap nowadays. And one nifty resource for European products is uh, justetf.com. They have a free tool, uh, a nice ETF strategy builder, where you could adjust your asset allocation with a few clicks and, and for very low cost. And, and they show different options and alternatives. Another well, another nice, nice tool is portfoliocharts.com. 
where you can take a look at a, a dozen of famous asset allocation and portfolios and see how they perform in, in the time. It's, it's a very powerful tool. I, I just would love to have that 15 years ago. Yeah, I, I've never heard of those, so I'll check them out. But if, if me, for example, I only invest in ETF, well, global index funds, really nothing else. I do not have, uh, I don't know, I just put in global index funds. Is that enough or, or would you say diversify even more? Should I also... Yes, you have to know yourself. Mm. But uh, index funds are, are okay, yes, in the long term, in the long run, it's, it's going to have a, a, a nice return. No? Warren Buffett says to his wife to give 90%, but... But the portfolio of, of Warren, Warren Buffett's wife is very large. So it's, it's not the same for a small portfolio. And in my case, in my case, I have like um, 50% equities, very diversified in a broad uh, developed in market fund. And after that, I have 10% in each asset class, like bonds, cash, gold, uh, real estate, so and alternative investments. For my 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 funny part is a ten percent each, so I don't presuppose that none of these asset class will do much better than the rest, as, except for the for the stocks. But but this is because I have a long term view too. So it, it really depends on on, on you. But I, I think that you have to at least the the classical sixty forty division or or. 80, 20, depend your age and depend your, your profile of risk. Yeah, interesting. Mine's 100% stocks, so, uh, oops. I, but I have an emergency fund, I think. So. Oh, okay. It's, it's 100% stocks. Well, there is a, there is a couple of, of questions about that. The thing is, when, when the bear market came, you don't have any cash to rebalance, so take advantage of the low prices. So there are a lot of studies that says that in the long term, a 90, 10% of cash, 90 equities, 10 of cash perform better than a 100% of equities because of the rebalancing and taking the opportunities when the market is, in, is selling low. So yeah, yeah, maybe you, you could think about that. Maybe 90, 90 10, 90, 10 will, yeah. will make better sense. Other, otherwise, you, you are forced to to add your security funds in case of a, of a bear market. Cool. Well, uh, talking about that, uh, we're going to move on to our final questions. Are you ready for them? Yes, yes, of course. Cool. First one, where can we find you, Nicolas, online? If we well, can. Yes, yes. I, I tend to use actively the Twitter account. is Nico Palesti. Mm -hmm. I'm giving you the links too. So yeah, you yeah, can, we'll put them in. You can put them there. And I have an account on LinkedIn that is public with different uh, publications and different stuff. Mm -hmm. So people could find me there too. Perfect. Uh, second question. What is one resource not well known that you would recommend to others? Okay. Well, maybe one of the two that I, I told. One is uh, a very nice is portfolio charts. They cut through the noise offerings simply but sophisticated visualizations tools that you could see a collection of assets in a single image and see how they perform over time. Uh, I will give you the links for, for them too. Uh, just ETF.com is a nice tool to select ETF mainly. I think ETF are one of the great tools of the last decade to invest 
Um, the other other resource is very interesting is um, portfolio visualizers.com. You can do some backtest portfolio assets analytics. You could see a style and risk, access performance, the, the thing that we were talking. You can play a lot with that, our free tools, and try to reach your ideal asset allocation. Cool. We'll add those all in the show notes. And our third question is, what is your number one actionable tip for someone to get started on their path to financial independence? It doesn't have to do with investing, but if you want, sure. Yeah. Well, to get started on this path, well, I, I will say that the, the early you start, the better. This You will find that in my, in my picture of Twitter and LinkedIn, I think. If you're afraid, start investing a little bit, like 5 or 10% of your network uh, during a year. Test yourself, test your reactions, test your motivations to invest. Uh, discover how do you think the world works. That will lead you to be more confident with, with your investment strategy. And then you can decide what implement. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah, that's a good, good tip. Okay, Nicolas, well, thank you very much for coming on. I think it's interesting to hear from someone who's been through it all and, and who can give us the confidence that, uh, you know, you survive. We survive. <laughs> Nothing, the crashes are going to kill anyone, hopefully. Yes. Um, so, yeah, thank okay. you for coming on. Thank for, to you, Araminta, and all of you guys. You're doing a great job with the podcast. Keep doing and hope to hear of you soon again. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review following us on instagram and twitter at financial independence europe sending us an email with questions and feedback we would love to hear from you all the mentioned articles books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu thank you for listening and see you next time